Welcome to the Politics and Public Finance Podcast, in-depth conversations that bring unique insights into the nexus between how governments manage our finances and the work of elective representative bodies such as parliaments. You're listening to Politics and Public Finance Podcast with Jeff Dubrow. Three months after the federal government declared a state of emergency in Canada for the first time in 50 years, Parliament has formed a special committee to investigate and a judicial inquiry has been called. Nonetheless, the toxic politics is persevering, the finger pointing is still going on, and the lingering question is, will we get the answers we're looking for? Today I'm joined by former Nova Scotia MLA and Democratic Development Specialist Kevin DeVoe, who will help us to unpack this issue. Then political activist Carol Chan will join the discussion to provide her perspective on how to turn the cynicism into action. And Kevin DeVoe joins me now. Kevin is a former member of Parliament from Nova Scotia, and he is also uh, a Democratic development expert. Kevin, it's so good to have you back on the program. Thanks, Jeff. Nice to be here. Let's talk about uh, the fallout from the Emergencies Act. I know I have strong views, but I don't know what you're, and I think you do too, but I don't know what they are. So, you know, there's a number of issues I want to talk to you about. One is the failure of leadership at all levels. I think that's number one. Mm. Uh, but that's not new. I think what happened with the crisis in Ukraine is that we all tend to sort of look the other way and forget about what had happened. Mm-hmm. And I think from a development perspective, democratic development perspective, we need to sort of look back and examine uh, what happened. Not only was it the right call to declare a state of emergency for the first time in Canada in 50 years, but also to, to ask ourselves uh, whether... Um, we, we had a failure of leadership at, at all levels of, of government. And I don't think any parliamentary or public inquiry is going to get to that issue. So why don't we start with that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess, I, yeah, thank you. Um, I think, um, I, think it, I, I think a committee can, and I think an inquiry that has been, so there's, under the Emergencies Act, once it, the emergency has ended, the act requires two reviews. One is an inquiry set up by the executive, the government, the cabinet. The other is a parliamentary review committee. Those two are going to continue to do their work. I actually think we can get to that question of a failure of leadership, perhaps at the lower levels of, let's say, municipal or provincial. And it really comes to me because um you look at the definition of when an emergency be, can be invoked in Canada. And that test is a fairly, I think, rigorous test. And one in which I'm not sure that the federal government in this case actually met. So the first question I hope that the inquiry and the review committee of the House of Commons will look into is, did we meet that threshold? And I think it's actually the most critical question because the act specifically talks about the action, the emergency act should only be invoked where provincial rules and laws do not allow for the uh, addressing of the issue, the emergency. Now, we had a pandemic for two years, practically, before this emergency act was brought in. And we never invoked the emergency act nationally. We had every provincial uh, government invoke its own state of emergency. And I believe in the case of the trucker convoy, Ontario had invoked its own state of emergency a week or two before the national emergency. Very, very 11th hour, but yes, they did. <laughs> yeah. So we, we're in a situation in which um, I hope that those committees 
as a first point will we'll determine whether or not we actually met the threshold because and why that's critical is because if they think that this is enough to meet the threshold for invocation of the emergencies act then there's it's a slippery slope in my mind to a lot of other potential protests or issues that may arise that i don't think meet the threshold but the government will now be able to say we used it on the trucker convoy we can now use it for something similar and that would be my biggest worry is that we've now created an emergency act that can be used basically for something that is not does not meet the test of the act no and what what concerns me in particular about what you're saying is that you're absolutely right um there was a failure of leadership um on the part of the ottawa police there was a failure of leadership uh, on the part of the city of ottawa certainly the province of ontario um i think with the the, the political aspect of of doug ford's decision not to get involved um and then the the sort of um uh the the the, the hand-to-hand -hand combat between the governing Liberal Party and the official opposition yeah. uh, make it very difficult to see how um, anything can be resolved when there's so much partisanship in the mix. It's not one, it's sort of that perfect storm of dysfunctional issues that had to happen in order to cause this crisis in the first place. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I think... Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from on that. I guess uh, in my mind, there's two points I want to make here. Um, first of all, uh, let's recall that the blockade in Windsor of the Ambassador Bridge to the United States was removed before the Emergency Act was brought in. So it's pretty clear in my mind that, it, and that was, if there was a threat to Canada, that was a bigger threat because it was obviously blocking trade. Um, and so, in my mind, I think you can see where we didn't need the, I mean, so to ipso facto, if we can remove the Windsor blockade without the Emergency Act, why couldn't we have done the same in Ottawa? Going to your point, though, around the issue of uh, the sort of political toxicity in Ottawa, particularly between the uh, official opposition and the government. Look, it's a minority parliament. Obviously, given the circumstances um, there, and we still see it today, even in the conservative leadership race, in the debates, yeah. there is clearly those who still see value in supporting what the truckers were, um, were I'll, I'll use the word articulate with quotes around it. But I think that um, none of that in my mind still results in the need for the invocation of the Emergency Act. I think it was probably more political theater than it was actually um, you know, legally or, uh, and, or, or uh, if I can put it, um, security-wise required. And so we're always going to have, we will at times have toxicity in our politics. I mean, going back to the 1950s, we had a very major problem with the uh, wanting to bring in a, a pipeline, which was a major political scandal and debate at the time. Uh, we can talk about, you know, the GST in the 90s being brought in. These times are very toxic in Parliament, but I don't think that in any of those cases someone felt that there was a need to bring in an Emergencies Act. No, um, and I guess my concern is all the finger-pointing that's going to happen. Um, and I think there's so many issues. There's the issue of racism right. uh, that may not... I know the Green Party had a press release, the Federal Green Party had a press release really saying we've got to make sure that that is an issue that, that, that is examined. Um, 
somewhere along the lines. Uh, you know, what is it like? What happens when white police, quote unquote, welcome white protesters into the city? Seems to be very different than what happens when uh, when the police have protesters that are uh, uh, from a marginalized group or racialized group, uh, and I think that's an issue that sort of led to led to the paralysis. So <clears throat> there are so many issues that need to be resolved. Uh, I guess that it, it, it will be determined whether anything can can come of either inquiry. Um, but I think you're right. I think the, the 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 government can't look back and say, well, you know, if if we had been more uh, responsible earlier on or taken action earlier on, perhaps uh, we wouldn't have been in the situation. And the opposition conservatives are going to say, uh, we, we um, you know, you did a terrible thing, you overreached. Um, and, and, and everyone's going to point fingers, but we're not going to necessarily get anywhere. What, what do you think could have been done differently in Parliament uh, at the federal level? What do you think our national leaders, I'm thinking particularly of the two parties that know they rotate power, you know, the, 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 conservative, the, liberal, the current liberal government and the conservatives, what could they have done differently to make this, um, make, make, perhaps make this go away or not, not to get to the point that we got to? Well, I'd like to believe, and from my experience, and I had the, um, the privilege, I say, of, uh, of three of the four terms I was in parliament were minority parliaments, and we were the official opposition. Um, and for two of those, I was the House Leader. So I was very much involved in day-to-day -day negotiations and discussion and dialogue that I think um, are necessary in any parliament, but particularly in a minority parliament. Now, having said that, I'm not sure that, I'm not sure where those sort of lines of communication are at the moment in the House of Commons. But I would hope that something like what's happening in Ottawa could have been an opportunity, even on a temporary basis, for some form of, of you know, cross-party dialogue on how we're going to resolve this in a way uh, that will allow for the, um, you know, the ramping down of some of the rhetoric. Now, we also have to remember that at the time, the official opposition, the Conservative Party, was going was throwing out its leader as well because of this convoy uh, around the same time. So they clearly probably were going through their own, um, their own change in leadership, and maybe that prevented that kind of discussion. But to be honest with you, in other parliaments around the world, I have seen where you establish some form of, of a venue uh, for dialogue. Sometimes it's called a business committee or a management committee. Um, they have it in New Zealand, for example, where much of the business of the house then can be discussed amongst a, um, a group of senior leaders from the different parties. But what that means is there is some venue chaired by the speaker that allows for a dialogue that hopefully can, you know, turn down the tone a little or at least allow for some discussion before we see the, you know, the Prime Minister going to the press saying we're invoking the Emergency Act. I think there needs to be venues and platforms within Parliament that allow for more of that backroom discussion in the hopes of trying to ensure that everyone understands that the system needs to be protected and we need to work towards that and not try and tear it down. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, so you're talking about the partisanship and the level of partisanship. And yeah, I think, that, well, yes, I mean, 
there's always partisanship in politics. That's the way it is. But um, I think one of the bigger concerns I've seen in the last few years um, is the fact that that part of the, they call, you know, they sometimes say, look, there's political polarization amongst the elites because obviously you have different political parties that have different political interests. Some of it ideological, some of it, you know, maybe not. Uh, but uh, when you um, start to get to the point where that toxicity, that becomes toxic polarization, where the general public becomes uh, less trustful of institutions, that's what you were seeing with the trucker convoy. Um, that is when people need to start to recognize that we need to be doing something to ensure that the system is, is protected, maybe improved eventually, but at first we need to, we need to protect what we have as a democratic system. Then we, and, and that involves all the parties having to recognize that there's space for them to have to work together. So I think, Kevin, the next issue that we want to talk about is really that toxicity between, especially between the government and the official opposition in a minority parliament on top of it all. Um, what role do you think that toxicity played uh, in, uh, in the uh, eventual invocation in the Emergencies Act? Yeah. Um, my short answer is it probably should have had no bearing. And I hope again that the Parliamentary Review Committee and the inquiry set up by the cabinet um, also consider that. Look, we've had periods of time in our country in which politics has been quite toxic. I, you know, not to give a history lesson, but you can go back to the 1950s and the pipeline debate or the early 1990s and the imposition of the GST. Those are just two examples. Um, I didn't but, hear you mention the War Measures Act there, Kevin. Yes, well, I, I, yeah, but you know what, you're right. I guess we could mention <laughs> the War Measures Act as well, correct? 1970, yeah. which obviously they did bring in. Yeah, uh, and I don't think many of us in that debate felt that that was probably um, well. I mean, we could have the debate whether that was overreach as well back then. But the point, well, being, the, the law was overbroad, no question about that. Yeah, that there is a circumstance in which you know, in this country, we've had toxic politics before, um, but never to the point where we've had a government that felt the need to bring in an emergencies act over. You know, and I know this is somewhat controversial, but an inconvenience in downtown Ottawa. And I know your other guest who lives in Ottawa may have a very different opinion on that. I don't live in Ottawa, so I wasn't inconvenienced by this. But um, from my perspective and from what I observed, um, I think there were concerns for me when I saw that some of the other border crossings were starting to be blocked. But again, that was diffused and the Windsor and the Coots Alberta um, blockades were diffused before there was the Emergency Act imposed. And so there was, again, going back to that point, I don't think there was a need for this Emergency Act and the toxicity in Parliament needs to be handled in a different way. We can't sort of bring out the big stick every time, you know, the government and the opposition aren't getting along. Uh, clearly some opposition politicians were trying to take advantage of this protest in a way that they felt they could under those circumstances. They were looking for political points, but it's up to a government and up to a parliament to find a way to try and, you know, ramp down that toxicity. And that's where something like a management committee or a business committee, the example I often give is New Zealand, which has a similar political system to ours. They have a business committee set up that is chaired by the speaker that allows for the agenda of parliament but, uh, to be discussed on a daily or weekly basis. 
but it can also be used as a venue where senior leaders from the different parties have an opportunity to engage with each other, build a relationship, and hopefully, you know, know that there are lines that shouldn't be crossed with regard to, you know, um, how parliament functions. And, you know, when major things like whether or not we're going to invoke an emergency act comes in, those are the venues that need to be in place to ensure that all the parties are on side with this, because we can't have emergencies that become politicized. An emergency, I mean, no one politicized um, the pandemic when the provinces imposed states of emergency. We all said it was necessary and people accepted that, no question asked. If we're gonna start having emergencies that become political footballs, then I think we have a much more serious problem. And again, I hope that the checks and balances in the Emergencies Act will be in place, will effectively look at that question as well. Yeah, we're playing Jeopardy here in the sense that you, you, you've posed an answer to which now I'll provide the question, which is, um, uh, you know, what are the long-term potential consequences on our democracy? You just answered that, which is that, you know, we can't have uh, uh, governments continuing to invoke an Emergencies Act where, where there's, you know, on a regular basis and certainly where there's a lack of consensus. Um, so I do take your point. At the federal level, of course, there is a Board of Internal Economy that really doesn't deal with policy issues, but it is very similar. This chaired by the Speaker, has, uh, members of each party are, are representative. That may have been a potential, although it doesn't have the mandate to discuss policy as far as I know, but certainly uh, I think a good idea for political parties to speak to each other uh, more often for sure. Um, you know, a little bit of controversy is always good. Uh, and uh, certainly your comment about the Ottawa inconvenience will definitely be that, that launch pad for controversy because uh, the reality is that I think it was, you know, the city was shut down um, uh, due to an incredible lack of preparation on the part of the, right. of the police. And you look at the protest, the, the recent uh, protest in Ottawa, uh, I think it was a bike, uh, bikers, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken, right. you know, parts of Ottawa in part, front of the parliamentary precinct, for example, uh, the Byward Market were just shut down out, outright by the police to make sure that they could not be occupied. Um, but I think we're, we're talking about, you know, not an inconvenience. We're talking about the fact that uh, the city was impossible to live in for, for, for many of the people who were there. You know, the, the, the constant exhaust, the, the harassment of, of people walking around, um, the, the exhaust fumes from the cars, the noise, the constant noise. Um, but unfortunately, that situation got to where it was not because of, uh, you know, because the police did not deal with the with the situation properly in the first place uh and then you could ask you know is it appropriate for a municipal police force to have to try to deal with a national protest like that uh but that's a, probably a, a debate for another time yeah i mean that's you're right i mean i think we can have a rethink over how the national capital and the precincts of parliament are defined i think wellington street will now probably i don't know if it's permanently blocked now but i imagine eventually it will be uh, you know, these are things that I think can be discussed uh, around the edges. But again, going back to the point, um, did any of this get to the point where we needed to invoke an Emergencies Act, a National Emergencies Act? What I've heard is, you know, just from my reading at the time, it seemed to be the primary reason for doing it, too, was to limit the funds coming in, um, right. which is a key point. And yep. the second was they couldn't get anyone to tow the trucks away, so they had to commandeer them. And in my mind, I don't know how, and I don't, I haven't looked at the Ontario uh, Police Services Act or the Ontario State of Emergencies Act or even the municipal bylaws, but I find it hard to believe that the commandeering of, you know, big rig tow trucks requires a federal emergency act to be imposed. 
And I would hope that we, and maybe that's, that's where the crisis is in this, is this sense that there was a, there was a demand for this, um, that, you know, that there was something that needed to be done, um, you know, and I, again, I go back to the potential for a slippery slope here. So the next time there is a blockage of a rail line out west or a pipeline protest, um, are these things now that are going to be allowed to be fixed by an Emergencies Act uh, or an invocation of the Emergencies Act? Uh, I think that I think we've created a slippery slope that we, we will regret if we don't at some point acknowledge that um, this was invoked in a way that I think went beyond the scope of what it was supposed to be for. And by the way, in the end, I don't think it was ever approved by Parliament. It was, it was approved with uh, the ND, support of the NDP. Okay. All right. I thought yeah, maybe they the didn't have to the conservatives I, thought they I thought they rescinded it before the vote came in, but because uh, it was only, oh, it was only there for a few days, I think, or a week or a week and a half, right? So, well, you raise a very interesting point there. I thought they were going to rescind it. And I think the reason they didn't rescind it was the government thought, you know, we've, we've got to demonstrate that this is not something that we want to, they don't want to wear it themselves, Right. If they had rescinded and said, okay, you know, after seven, before the seven day ratification period, yeah. we probably needs to ratify, we, we will we'll back out. I think that would have sent the wrong message. So it's political in that sense. They, they had to bring it to parliament and, and get the parliament through ratification. Um, uh, let's talk about the, the Democrat. I, I think there are some positives that have come out of this in terms of seeing that, that, I mean, I, if you asked me what was in our emergencies act six months ago, I would have told you, I have no idea. I've never read it. Right. Um, but I think, you know, I, I am somewhat proud that in a democracy, there are safeguards that have been built in, particularly on the catastrophic 1970s invocation of the War Measures Act. Kevin, I was, um, I was probably about nine when I asked my father, I, you know, I was always interested in de de democracy, I guess, and governance. And I said, uh, you know, I guess uh, that kind of, I guess we were listening to the radio or something. And I said, well, I guess, you know, what happens in other countries in terms of state of emergencies or you know, uh, uh, the backsliding of democracy could never happen here. And he said, no, it did happen here. We, you know, the, our rights were suspended uh, across the country in 1970. And I always, that always stuck with me. Um, and I think when I look at, we look at that act, you know, the fact that a parliamentary inquiry is required, a judicial inquiry is required, that parliament needs to ratify the act within seven days. Um, are these the right kind of safeguards? Are there other safeguards that are required? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that they are robust, but they could be more robust. Um, I think, yes, having a, the parliamentary committee that not only reviews, so there's a number of levels here. I went through the act. Um, Parliament You're has a lawyer, to, right? You like to read those things. Yes, I do. <laughs> exactly. um, uh, you know, Parliament has to approve it within seven days, the invocation. Uh, they can revoke at any point. Um, you know, they have to approve any continuation over the original time period. Uh, they have the right, any regulation approved by cabinet under the emergency act has the right for what I call, um, reverse approval, which means they're tabled in parliament and if parliament makes a motion to reject it, then it's rejected. Um, you have this review committee that can do its work, not only at the end, but even during the process. So well, I didn't know I think that. you have the obviously the judicial inquiry. Now we're probably going to have a, a charter challenge in court. So the judiciary will also have a chance to look at the legitimacy of this. Those are all good. And I think they're important. 
I would suggest one thing that is key to all of this is, of course, we have a minority parliament at the moment, and therefore the government doesn't have, you know, sort of the absolute control that it might have under a majority government in parliament. And so many of these powers that we have could easily be ignored or, um, or at least uh, limited in their effectiveness if we were in a situation where there was a majority government. I'd like to see, for example, you know, in order to approve the, um, you know, the invocation of the Emergencies Act in Parliament, you know, maybe it needs to be a supermajority. Maybe it needs to be two thirds. You know, maybe it needs to be something that requires, again, some level of consensus. So a government that had, you know, 39% of the vote and got 50 plus 1% of the seats couldn't suddenly decide to bring in an emergency act because there's some protesters they don't like. And you might think that that's being glib about this, but you know what? That's not far off from what we had. And so maybe we need to be bringing in, and I don't, in Canada, we have a tendency not to use these super majorities. That's right. But in many parliaments, they do for constitutional reform and for other things. And I like it because it does, it, in most cases, unless, of course, a, a party wins two thirds of the seats, in which case they do have a super majority, but that rarely happens in Canada. I think Deacon Baker and Mulroney would probably be the only two that met that threshold. So um, in those circumstances, it will require the government to have to find some consensus. Uh, and I think that that would be some other level of protection that we could have in this as well. Uh, yeah, and I think the last time I thought a supermajority should have been invoked was when the Conservatives in the last part and sort of the previous government unilaterally changed the election law right before the election um, using their majority. And you sort of say, well, is that, you know, setting the, changing the rules of the game to support your, your own uh, sort of electoral fortunes or party fortunes? Is that really what a democracy is all about? So I, I think that is something that could definitely be looked at. Kevin, I'm going to... You want to make a last, a last comment? Go well, ahead. Just to be clear on that point, I mean, from my work, at least at the provincial level before, there was always an unwritten rule that all the parties had to agree to any electoral reform. So you're right. Once those rules are broken, you then get into a much more complicated circumstance. So the gentleman's, pardon the term, agreement that allows for all the parties to sort of have to sign off on electoral reforms once that has been removed, we're in a circumstance where I think um, you're right. We, we do need to start looking at more formal approval processes that require a greater majority. Thank you very much. Uh, but let's, let's let's set a, a date to get back together and uh, and have this conversation again once the uh, the, the uh, both the parliamentary and uh, judicial yeah. inquiries have uh, done done some or most of their work and see where we're at and see if our democracy is holding up to scratch. All right. Great. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. Love the podcast, Jeff. So keep it up. I'm happy to see what you're doing. Awesome, Kevin. I appreciate that. So that was Kevin DeVoe. Um, I am joined now by Carol Chan, political actionist and head of Democracy Now. Carol, it's great to have you back on Politics and Public Finance. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I like to say that your, what you do, your magic is that you take the cynicism, at least my cynicism, you turn it into action and political action. What was your reaction to the conversation that, uh, that Kevin and I just had? Um, a couple things. I think one, first of all, the, the use of the term toxic politics was really interesting to me because I don't know if it's so much the politics themselves that are toxic, but the behavior around the politics that's toxic. And, and I think that's an important distinction to make because 
um, in the work that I do, we're trying to look at why women, for instance, aren't getting into politics. And a lot of what you hear is about the the processes and the, the actual interactions that happen in politics, not having to stand for an issue or have difficult discussions because that what that's what politics is about. But it's the way that it occurs and the rules or lack thereof, which I think um, Kevin got into as well, um, that that make the, the environment toxic. And I think even the protest itself and then the um, recourse of the government to the Emergencies Act um, is a reflection of perhaps the gaps between the system as we have it, the democratic system as we have it right now, and our ability or desire to, to have difficult conversations as a society. Yeah, I, as usual, I'm, uh, uh, you know, in awe of what you're saying. I think that makes a lot of sense. So the, the big question, you know, that, that Kevin put out and bearing in mind that he's a lawyer as well, of course, he said, you know, is, is it, did they meet the threshold, right? But that's not really the conversation that we want to have. We want to have the conversation as basically asking what were the shortcomings that forced us to get there, the lack of, and the, on the political side, right? Yeah. And I, I'd say that the, when, whenever we say the lack on the political side, it makes me really, uh, I guess, get my back up because um, it makes it seem as though the political side is something outside of us, whereas in a democracy, the political side is us. And so um, it goes back to general education around how to behave, first of all, how to have difficult conversations between people who have, who have opposing issues and different ideologies, um, which I think is improving. I have young children and it seems like they're having some of that education happen in schools. But then building on that, how do we envision that conversation happening in a dem democratic political system? Um, prior to having democracies, we had other ways of sorting things out and they usually involved wars and, um, you know, yeah. swords and <laughs> lots of blood. But, um, but I think... Democracies don't usually go to war with each other, interestingly. Well, yeah, but I, I think that um, within democracies that, that shaped themselves, part of it was motivated by the, the idea that we don't have to fight physically to achieve um, change through violence. We can achieve, achieve it through difficult discussions and, and civilized, um, and I use that big air quote there, yes. <laughs> conversation. But I think um, what you and Kevin touched on at the very end, these gentlemen's agreements, for instance, that were, um, were supposedly in place in, in the legislature's um, prior to calling elections to have consensus around calling elections. Um, I think they're not working anymore because the landscape has changed in terms of who holds decision-making uh, power, who actually particip participates in politics and who's getting represented by whom. So all of these, um, the failures of the, the unwritten rules highlights to me that we may need to revisit those the written rules and rely a little bit less on custom and remind everyone what we're all about by writing it down 
Um, I think that's why we had a constitution pulled up in <laughs> as late as 1982, right? And so, yep. uh, or updated in 1982, I should say. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I think having that update actually is, is probably what we need to be doing right now. If, if there's any lemonade to be made out, out of this lemon, then I think it's not just looking specifically at the Emergencies Act, it's looking at, as Kevin was saying, the management committee and, and everything around how parliament operates, how people, um, what rules apply to politicians who are democratically elected, and the edu education and expectation around citizens in terms of, okay, so how do you um, exercise your freedom of, of um of choice, but also freedom freedom to choose your politician and representative, but also how do you express freely your, your opinions in the society um, without infringing on the rights of other people to live their lives freely also. So I, I think that there's a systemic look back at the, to be pulled out of this. I think we should continue this conversation uh, down the road um, um, because I think this is, I think the with all the finger pointing, um, there's going to be, there, there's not going to be a lot of mea culpas. People saying, hey, we could have done better. Um, you know, they, they'll be, they could have done better, but there's not going to be a lot of, we could have done better. Um, and I think this is just going to fall, this issue is going to fall into the sort of the, 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 the partisan morass of politics, uh, which is concerning. I guess I have one last question for you. Just, you know, I, I, as a political actionist, as you you are uh, styled or self-styled, um, what should I have been doing during the, those protests? Because I was very upset uh, to see what was going on. Ottawa is my former city. I lived there for 20 years. Uh, I have a lot of family that was affected and friends that were affected by the protest. Um, I'll respectfully depart ways with Kevin on the minor inconvenience or inconvenience. It was, it was a siege of a city that had to stop. But what, what should I have done during that time, short of going to Ottawa and, you know, fomenting uh, resistance, which I don't think is sort of in my DNA to do that kind of thing? <laughs> it's not in my DNA either, uh, yeah. I don't think. But I, I think what we could have been doing during that time, and I think a lot of people in Ottawa, in fact, did this from what I read in the reporting, is, um, is talk to each other because that... The whole um, incident was clearly a failure of um, somebody or or many somebodies to be able to reflect the realities or the voices of a certain group of people in in the parliament, and and so when the parliament fails us as the I don't know the nexus of where all of our ideas meet, then it forces us to actually have to have conversations directly with people. When government fails us in terms, say a city bylaw fails you in terms of dealing with the noise that your neighbor is making, um, then you actually have to go over and walk over to your neighbor's house and talk to them like a human being, because you still have to live next door to them until your house sells or theirs and, um, and figure things out. And I think that that's basically what we need to be doing every day, not just when emergencies happen but especially when emergencies happen. And it was nice to see that there were counter protester, counter protesters again in air quotes, because they would actually, it seemed, come out not only to um, 
made, make their point of view known, but also engage protesters who were eager to engage and be heard. By real um, people. <laughs> Carol Chan, um, politics and public finance commentator. Is that a good title for you? Sure. Yeah, like that. Okay, I like that. The keeping too. it real commentator. <laughs> keeping it real commentator. Action is commentator. Uh, thanks so much for this, and uh, we'll make sure we continue to keep in touch on this. Of course. Thank you so much for having Thank me. So much. And that is our podcast for today. Politics and Public Finance is produced and sponsored by Huge Impact Marketing. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, be sure to subscribe. I'm Jeff DeBro. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.